All right. Here we are again, another Sunday. Excited to be here. You excited to be here to worship the Lord? To hopefully learn something, pull something from His Word? Uh, Lord, we come to you and just ask, Lord, that you would be the one who teaches us. That you would be the one who guides us, the one who directs us, the one who gives us the wisdom and the understanding that we need as we walk out these doors and that we go minister to this world around us. And it seems that the days are growing darker and darker, but Lord, we are encouraged because when that happens, your light grows brighter and stronger, shines brighter and stronger in our our community and our families. And so Lord, we want to be those vessels who shine forth your light, but we need your guidance, we need your wisdom, and we need to lean into you and what you have to offer, because we cannot do this on our own. It can only come through what you have to offer as our Savior, Lord. We come and thanking you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what makes you who you are? What makes you who you are? What makes you you? Jeans. Jeans, yeah, there we go. Yep. I usually wear blue jeans, not wearing those today. No, no. What makes you who you are? Yeah, jeans and our DNA and all that, that biological stuff. Stuff makes us uniquely who we are. By the grace of God, you are what you are. Yeah, by God's grace. Yeah. What else? Anything else that we use to describe who you are? Our personality. Our personality. I heard experiences. Yeah, yeah, we each have unique experiences. Even if we have similar lives, we also have unique experiences that make us who we are, and our personality and character develop as well out of that. Whose child you are? Whose child are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the community which you grow up. Yeah, anybody, anybody transplants here? Yeah, we've got, we've got a number of transplants who are here and, and our, maybe our uniqueness sticks out in the North Country. Yeah. Jesus is going to ask this question today about who he is, who he is. And uh, it is such a critical question. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 18 and going to verse 27. So how about uh, we turn there. If you've got a Bible, pull that out. Luke chapter 9, 18. There are Bibles in the front of you, uh, or your phone, or tablets, or however you read the word of the Lord. And let's, uh, let's go through this. Let me read this for us today. Luke 9 starts out in verse 18 here, and he says, while he was praying, this is Jesus, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Verse 21, but he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses uh, or forfeits himself? Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus steps up to his disciples. They've, ju- they've just come off of just an extraordinary event. What did we look at last week? They, they, they fed 5,000 people, this crowd, more than that, 5,000 men in this crowd, and, and they provided all the food for them through Jesus' miracle. They've come off of this. Uh, and the, the Gospel of John about that incident says that, that they, had to, they had to hide away, they had to leave that place because the crowds wanted to force Jesus to be king. All right, they've already got this, this path for Jesus in mind, and they're excited about what he's doing. And man, if someone can feed you, right, and provide all your needs, oh yeah, give me more, give me more. This, I want more, more, more of this, right? And, uh, and what, whatever reasons they were thinking, whether it was comfort or because of his power, whatever, they wanted to force him to be king, and so they pull away. And, in, and Luke tells us that while he was praying in private, Jesus often goes to prayer at his most critical moments in ministry, right? We, we see him going to prayer quite a bit. And it's usually at a time when there, there's something critical that's going to happen in his ministry. He's, he does it when he calls his disciples. Uh, he does it at the beginning of his ministry. He goes into the wilderness. All these places where he goes to prayer. And here, as he's going to ask this question, he's going to the Father. He's going to prayer, going to speak with his Father, God the Father, and then come to his disciples and ask this, this is the question. And some of us have answered that question. Others, maybe not. Others, maybe even, well, I think I sort of know, but I'm maybe sitting on the fence kind of answer to this question that Jesus is going to ask his disciples. But this is the question. This is like the center point of the gospel, here, of the story, the, the turning point where Jesus is going to bring something before them. Jesus has now started his, his journey to Jerusalem, all right? We've got a lot, of, a lot to go here, but the, the commentators say that Jesus is now starting on the road to Jerusalem, though he's going to travel other places, but now it is starting to be set, it's starting to be set. And so he has a question to pose to his disciples. Who do the crowds say that I am? We've seen 5,000, 10,000 people. They're surrounding us. We just fed them. You got to meet them, right? And all those little groups of 50, and you took the baskets out to them. You got to meet them. You saw the crowds. There's probably murmuring within those crowds, right? Disciples, report back. What did the crowd say to me? And all those little groups that we fed, what did the crowds say about me? Who do they say that I am? And they answered. They answered. And, and this is interesting because this is, this is what Herod says back earlier in this chapter when we look at Herod's little thing too. And, and he's wondering, who, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Kind of comes up with the same answers. Some say that John the Baptist, John the Baptist who'd already been killed by Herod. John the Baptist come back from the dead. Elijah, come back. Elijah. John the Baptist is the guy who was calling the nation to repentance. All right, come back in repentance. We've got to turn as a nation and prepare the way for the Lord. Elijah was a powerful spokesman, 
powerful prophet for the Lord. I mean, he stood up to, to kings, right, and, and prophets. He's the guy on Mount Carmel where all those prophets of Baal come and, and they challenge him. Hey, who's God's real? Who's, who's the real God here, right? Baal or God, Yahweh. And he puts them to the test with the altars and, and just doesn't turn out well for the prophets of, of Baal. Um, but Elijah was a powerful spokesman and prophet for God. And, and so the, these are the kind of heroes that the people want. They're imagining. This is who they imagine Jesus is going to be. He's going to be this type of hero. He's a, he's a guy who's going to get their nation back on top again. All right, this is what they were looking for. That this is what the promised Messiah would give to the nation. Okay, this is who this is who the crowd say that I am. John the Baptist, Elijah, powerful spokesman for God or other prophets. And then he goes to the deeper question for his disciples. And this is our question, and he asked them in verse twenty, "Who do you say that I am?" And Peter answered. God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Now, Luke is interesting because like Matthew goes through after, after Peter gives this answer and, and Matthew goes through and, and details an account where then all of a sudden Jesus starts talking about the road to the cross and Peter says, never, we'll never let you die. We'll never let you be taken. And, and Jesus immediately has to say, hey, get behind me, Satan, right? And, and so Peter is given this wonderful answer in the gospel of Matthew. Then Matthew takes us a, a couple verses later and says, man, Peter, get your foot out of your mouth. What are you doing here, dude? And uh, Jesus has to correct him and chastise him. Luke is a little bit more generous, Luke is a little bit more generous to, to Peter. It kind of stops there. You know, Luke says, well, I think that's been covered. Everybody knows that story, so I don't think I have to relay that story about Peter. But Peter here, he says the important part, God's Messiah. Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. He's right on target with this. The righteous one of Israel, the one who's going to usher in the kingdom of God, the one who's going to bring uh, prosperity to the nation, the one who's going to deliver the nation, the one who's going to go all the way back to, if you look at Abraham, where God says to Abraham, you're, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world, all right? This is, this is big, 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 big. This is the Messiah. Messiah meant victory for them. Messiah, they're, they're thinking victory, victory. This is, this is what we're looking forward to, all right? Now, have you ever gone to a movie, and then it's a movie with twists and turns in it, where you start the movie out, and you're like, I think this is where this is going. I think I got this whole thing figured out. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start to realize that this movie is really going or maybe it's a book that's really going in a different direction than I thought. And by the end of the movie, you're, you're like, how in the world did we get here? This was so unexpected. Ever have that experience where you, where you see you know, like a thriller or something like that, a suspenseful movie, and it just takes you in a totally different direction than where you thought you were headed? This is what Jesus does with them. This is what Jesus does in this story with them. He's going to take them through that kind of experience where it looks like this is where we're headed, guys. This is where we're headed, guys. This, this is what you're expecting. And then we're going to take a little twist here. And we're actually going to reveal the truth of the story, the truth of the journey that we're on. In verse 21 and 22, he strictly warned them and instructed them to tell this to no one. All right, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, 
and be raised on the third day. This, as the disciples are hearing this, I imagine their ears sort of shut down when he says the word killed. All right? And this is where they, they, I think they focus. They, they, this is where they stop. It's like, what, what do you mean? This is not the victory story that we're looking forward to. All right? This is, this is not the path that we're looking for. And Jesus warns them. He says, hey, you are correct. Peter, you are correct. He, he, he affirms their assumptions that he is the Messiah. He, he clarifies, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you are waiting for. All right? But he warns them not to tell anybody. Why? Well, we saw the crowds earlier. And what did they want to do with Jesus? They wanted to force him to be king. They wanted to force him to move into a, a power position. They wanted to force him to actually do their will by, by forcing the prosperity and the blessings of God in their nation. Jesus says, hey, this is, this is what you're, you're, you're waiting for. This is what you're, you're waiting for. Uh, the, the, the son of man. All right, he uses this term in this passage in verse, um, uh, verse uh, 22. It's necessary that the Son of Man suffer. This is what you think the Son of Man is, is going to do right here, right now. And they're, and they're pulling this. He's, he's, going to Dan, he's alluding to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel says this, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. The Son of Man, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion, the Son of Man's dominion, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That's what we want. That's what we're expecting. Jesus, this, this is you, right? This is you. And he, he affirms, he says, yes, I am the son of man. I am the one spoken about in Daniel. But you don't understand the road that we're on right now. All right? You don't understand all of the twists, all of the turns, all of the necessary things that have to happen in order for this to come about. You want it right now. Again, the crowds, we want this right now. This is what we're expecting. This is what we want. And he says, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody who I, and don't really reveal the truth of who I am to everybody in this public way because they're going to try to force the mission and force this to move faster than, than, we, than God has planned, than is in God's plan. And Jesus is gently reminding his disciples that life with the Messiah isn't exactly what they had been taught with their families and friends and school all those years, all those expectations, those built-up expectations that they had, they, had, they had built over the years. He says, this is not exactly what it's going to look like. Something else has to come first. Something else has to come first before we start getting into this Daniel stuff and the Son of Man and dominion and glory and a kingdom and, and power. This is where we want to be immediately, but something else has to come first. And in Isaiah 53, he says, this has to come first. This has to come first. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. 
He was despised. We didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. This is the path. This is the path that we are starting to walk down. This is the path that, he says, this is the path that I am going to walk down. He says, all those leaders, it's necessary, it's required. This has to happen. The Son of Man who you've been waiting for what must suffer many things. He'll be rejected, rejected by the nation. He'll be killed, but will be raised on the third day. And guess what? There's even better news to follow. He keeps on going. He says, There's even better news to follow. In verse 23, he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, that sounds like good news. Does that sound like good news? <laughs> it, it, this is interesting. The, the cross, and, and we, if we, you know, we've been in church for a long time here, and so we, we know we have pictures of the cross. We wear crosses around our, our necks, and we, we put them on. We got one right there as, as decor and to remind us of, of Christ and, and the, the, the glory of the salvation that came through the, the cross. And, but the cross, the cross was an instrument of terror, and shame. It was an instrument of, of execution, of extreme punishment, of, of humiliation. I, I, you know, we, we, we can't grasp that by, by looking at this beautiful cross sitting up here. We, we miss the point of the cross when we just stare at it and say, oh, that's such a, a beautiful piece representing the, the glory of our Savior, but we miss what the cross was and and is the, the closest I think thing we could understand to be the, the equivalent of the cross in, in our day and age, which we're very blessed this is not happening nowadays, but but has happened, is the act of, of lynching. If you think of that that act and what it was, that was an act of humiliation and shame and brutality. All right, it was, it was shameful for the person who was, it was being put through the act. It was shameful for their, their family and their, their community. It, it sent a message to the rest of the community that you better stay in line. You better stay in your place. And this is what the cross did. And, and Jesus says that anyone who wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I, I imagine that, that Jesus as he's telling this story and as he's, he's telling this to his disciples, I imagine them like on a road and the Romans would line the roads outside the cities with crosses of those who were criminals and, and meant to be executed. And, and I think Jesus, we, we see these, these stories, oh, where's Jesus pulling all this stuff from? I think, I think they're walking down a road or at least they've come in contact with crosses on the road. Right? And Jesus says, this is the picture. This is the picture. They're in a location right now called Caesarea Philippi. It was located north of the Sea of Galilee. It was uh, near a place called Mount Hermon. Uh, it was originally a, uh, named after uh, a Greek god, Pan. 
This was its more ancient Greek name. It's named Caesarea Philippi now because it was rebuilt by Herod's son, Philip, and he renamed it after Tiberius Caesar, Caesarea Caesar. He gave that, the, the prominent name to Caesar, but he also named it after himself, Caesarea Philippi. And this blending, this, this pagan nation, this pagan town with a pagan history, blending it with Rome and with Israel. The, the ruler of, of Rome, Caesar, and the ruler of one of the rulers of Israel, Philip, one of Herod's sons. And you see this blending. And so this is where Jesus and his disciples are. This is where they're walking in this, this pagan town. This, this town that is far away from, from God. And here he is. He's preaching a message in this pagan place of salvation from the world and the world powers. All right? And he says, disciples, this, this is for you. you. You recognize who I am. You're going to follow me. Guess what? If you continue to follow me, the path right now doesn't just look like glorious victory. The path right now looks a little different than what you are expecting. The path right now looks like the cross. And I imagine them, I imagine, I just imagine them walking by the crosses and seeing the men or women on the cross crying out in agony. Imagine, imagine Jesus being in that situation and, and having to pull his disciples away from the road. And guys, do you, do you see the cross? Do you, do you know what that means? This, this is where I'm headed. Those who want to follow me, this is what the path looks like. It means denying ourselves, giving up on our, ourselves to follow me. What do you do? What do you do if you're following a leader like Jesus? And he says, hey, what's going to happen is I've got to walk the road of the cross. And they're going to come after me. All right? Uh, and by the way, they're going to come after you as well. What do you do with that as you follow that leader? If you don't, if you're, if you're on the fence about that leader, and you're like, well, I... I think he's, they're saying the Messiah. They're using that word quite a bit in town about Jesus, but I'm not sure. What do you do with that? Maybe step away. Because who wants to be on the cross? Who wants their journey, their path to be compared to that path? He says, I think he's, D disciples, you sure you, you see who I am? Do you have confidence in that? Confidence where I'm going, confidence where I'm leading, confidence that on the other end there is resurrection. It's going to come to death, and we're going to see him scatter when he dies, right? We're going to see him all scatter. He says, Are, do, you, do you see the other side? Do you see the other side? Do you have a picture for the kingdom on the other side, even if it means that you have to walk the path of the cross as well? Do we have the bigger picture of what's on the other side? What God the Father is doing? What his plan is? They're not going to get it now. They're not going to get it now. We see, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter, that's where he puts his foot in his mouth right away and says, no, we'll never let that happen. And he chastised pretty severely Peter. They're going to get it later. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to live a life with abandon. What does it mean to live 
a life of abandon. It means we're giving our whole life over to the service of Christ and His plan and His purposes. Not giving it to a preacher, right? You're not giving your service to me or any other leader in this church. You're not even giving your, your service to this, this local body, which we're, we're so blessed to meet in, right? Our service and our allegiance goes to the one true king who walked down the path before us as our example. We're giving our whole lives over to Jesus and we're dropping everything else that we hold so dear so that we can give full and total glory to God above all else. We're committing ourselves to Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Are you ready to commit yourself to this path that we're all going to walk down? All of his disciples will experience this, except for maybe John. John, who, who lives the longest and is exiled, but all of his disciples will end up walking down this path fully and confidently. Why? Because they know who they have their eyes on, right? And this, this is our example. This is our example. You know, following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. The, the, the New Testament, this is, this is what the, the writers are, are writing about. And uh, Paul, Paul says this, you know, in Romans 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, God's mercies, the, the things that he's blessing us with, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices on the crosses, sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Galatians 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There's still life right? The, the, the death that we experience when we come to Christ is not the end. There, there's new life to be had with Christ, but it means something. It means something. The life I now live in the body, in Galatians 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's not making this stuff up on his own. This is where he's going and says, hey, Christ asked me, told me there may be a cross in my path. And I need to be willing to sacrifice my life, my desires, my heart, all of that in order to serve Christ, who is my Savior. Jesus is asking this, this question of his disciples. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, hold on to tightly to whatever you've got. Whoever wants to keep holding on tightly, to whatever you have, you will lose it. But whoever loses, opens their arms, opens their hands to see what God will provide, what God will do for them. He will be saved. He will save it. Jesus gives them a very simple call. Come, follow me. And like I said, this is the turning point in the Gospel of Luke where he starts down his march to Jerusalem. He's asking his guys, guys, will you follow me? Are you going to follow me down this path? Even though the call is simple, the implications are anything but simple, right? 
but what it means for us. When we lay down our lives, because Christ laid down his life for us, when we lay down our lives, it means that we receive a transformed life and we will never be the same. John writes this about Jesus, Jesus says this in, in the Gospel of John, excuse me, I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you, you lay all this stuff down, you know, and your life's just going to get worse or it's going to get bad. If physically, it may get bad for you guys, but what comes from this life that I'm going to provide you is abundant, full, rich, more glorious than you could ever imagine. This is what you're walking towards. This is what you're walking towards. And he says, what this means is every single day, every single day, taking up the cross, taking up the cross. But as we take up the cross, Jesus says that there are radical promises in store for you. Life-transforming promises. God is not abandoning you. God is not leaving you. I'm not asking you to, to, to give up. I'm actually asking you to embrace something new, Jesus says. And to get this abundant life, we need to give over everything that we think makes our lives full today. We fill up our lives so quickly. Anybody else feel like their lives are just full to the brim? We're always going, and, and some of it's really good, and then we look at other parts, and it's like, oh, this, uh, you know, I probably should give this up. But anything, anything that gets in the way of the full life of Jesus is something we need to give up, right? I mean, this, this, may, this may mean letting go of riches, right? He asked that to the rich young ruler. Hey, you got to give up stuff. You're, you're hung up by your stuff, right? This is what you need to give up. This is, this is the idol in the way of me. You got to look to give this up. This might mean letting go of the dream of riches, right? I'm sitting here and it's like, well, I'm not rich, so that doesn't apply to me. But man, you know, I'd, I'd like to move on in life and, and, and get more in life. And it may mean giving up that dream of trying to get there trying to hold on something in the future. It might mean that we're, we're letting go of the fears that we hide down in our hearts, the, those fears that get in the way of us actually walking and following Jesus down the path. You know, he, he may take a little turn in the journey and say, hey, I'm still here, but you can't really see me because I've made the turn ahead of you. Are you willing to make that turn too or are you fearful? Do you get stuck? in the moment and you don't want to move past that because there's something that's, that's holding you back and we may have to give up on those fears. Might mean giving up on doubts that become an excuse for, for us not acting on the, the plans that God has for us. What do we have to give away? What do we have to give away? What, what is the Lord telling us that we need to give away in order to actually embrace this abundant life that he has to offer. What'd you say? Pride. Pride. Mm -hmm. What else do we have to give away? Fear? Mm -hmm. I said worry. Bitterness. Yeah, letting something go. Did someone do you wrong and you're like, man, I just can't get over this? 
Control. Yeah. Is that a hard one? I'm hearing shushes back there. That's, that's a hard one. Control. Yeah, it's, it's perceived control. This, this is all perceived, right? Because we're living in a world that, where, where is it moving? You know, it's a total cleansing, a total renewal, which means everything that's, that's around us, God is going to totally rework, make brand new. The stuff's going away anyway, but we hold on to it like it's precious gold, right? It's all going to burn, right? And, and, and we hold on to it, and this is why Jesus says things like, you know, hey, store your treasures up in heaven, right? He's alluding to the kingdom of God. You know, put your treasures and your trust in the kingdom of God, all right? And, and, and you may experience some treasure, what you think is treasure down here, but, uh, you know, there, there's better treasure up with the kingdom. God's, God's bringing it. God's bringing it. God's got you covered, Yeah, absolutely. Coming from the, the therapist right there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> relationships. Yeah. It may mean taking on new relationships. That could mean a little bit of a cross for us. Sorry to see, you know, right? Or it may mean releasing some relationships that are, we're holding on too tightly maybe or, or putting too many expectations on. I'll let you talk to Elizabeth later if you want to talk about that. Yeah, anything that gets in the way. We, we talked about idols a couple weeks ago, idols of the heart. It's, it's the stuff we see that looks negative and like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that, they've got an idol in their life. Yeah, and it's the, also the good stuff that we hold on to too dearly, too, too closely, right? And it's like, I can't give that up. As, as soon as we say we can't give it up, it's created an idol, <laughs> in our heart, and we've acknowledged it. This is an idol for me, Lord, right? And, and uh, I, you know, I, I see the Lord up there saying, you know what, I'd, like to, I'd love you to release your hands and let it just fall away, or you know what, I can dig and pry in there and do the work of prying it out and tearing it out if you don't want to release it. You know, you got a couple different options here, and Jesus is saying, are you ready to release your lives? Are you ready to release your lives? And it's going to look, it may look terrible according to the world's standards. The world we live in, it may look terrible, painful. According to the kingdom standards, when you release it, it says, hey, this, this abundant life, this is what you're embracing, the life that comes from Jesus. This is what you're embracing. And some of us here can say, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's no contest, right? Some of us here can say, hey, it's no contest. I will gladly give up what this world has to offer in order to embrace what Christ has promised me and what is providing me, the, the peace and the joy and the contentment and all of that that goes, goes with it, right? We talk about suitcases a lot here, you know, and, and all the suitcases we drag around with us. God says, you know, leave them off to the side, right? I got better stuff for you. But here on this earth, Jesus says that when you follow me, it might look like taking up a cross, denying the things that we hold so dear, letting God have control of our time and our resources, our relationships, our agenda, our thoughts, our actions, 
who we are. We talked about who we are, what makes us at the beginning of this message. It's letting God have total control of who we are. It's moving us from a father here on earth, a mother and father here on earth, to saying that I'm a, I'm, my father is up in heaven. God the Father is my father. He's the one who is, who is in charge of my life. And Jesus says, Jesus says, he says, I'm, I'm walking down this path and it's going to cost me. All right? It's going to cost me something. The Son of Man is going to be, suffer and be rejected. This is not what a king wants. A king does not want to suffer or be rejected. A king wants to walk into a town and, and be embraced and loved and, oh, you're the conquering hero, right? And Jesus says, I'm the king who actually has to walk down the path of suffering because it goes contrary to what the world wants or is offering or what the, where the world is, is heading. And when you follow me, you may have to step down this path as well. You know, Jesus walked down it first. Our Savior, God, was willing to walk down this path first. All the other gods in the pantheon were like, man, if you don't, you don't do what I say, man, we'll strike you down, right? We'll get rid of you. We'll, we'll destroy your crops. You don't pray the right way. You don't give the right sacrifice. We'll destroy your crops. We'll destroy your relationships. We'll, we'll wreak havoc here. If you do it right, we'll give you blessings. And our Savior, God, says, guess what? I'm going to come down here. I'm going to walk this path for you as an example for you. And he walked in submission and service and sacrifice. This is what we're seeing in the Gospel of Luke. This is what we'll continue to see in this Gospel of Luke. And he says, this is where the path leads. This is where the path leads. Why, why does he have to say that this is a daily exercise? The cross is a daily exercise. Why does he have to say that? Because it's not natural, Right? It's not natural. Every single day, waking up in the morning saying, Lord, what do you have for me? Instead of, Lord, this is what I have for me. Can you please bless this? <laughs> Take care of this, right? These, these, are, these are my needs. These are my needs. This is, this is what I need. Lord, Lord, what do you have for me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids that that man to come and die. Die to self, die to ambition, agenda, die to our own purposes because there's a greater purpose out there. Jesus says that through this, as you walk down this path, this is how you find true life. C.S. Lewis says this, if I find myself, if I find in myself, excuse me, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus is introducing this other world, this other kingdom, all right? And he says, it's not going to matter then what is put in front of you. This cross, it's not going to matter in your eyes because your desires, your heart is leading you to a different place. And they can curse you, they can spit on you, they can beat you, they can do all this. And by the way, I'm going to step in that place first. They can do all this stuff to you and it's not going to matter because your heart is set in a different world, a different place. And Jesus 
says he needs a full commitment because nothing else is going to bring this abundant life. We can't sit on this fence. We can't have it both ways. This is why he tells stories about new wine and old wineskins and, and, and how it doesn't fit together or, or new patches on used clothes and how they don't fit together and how everything just gets ruined when we try to combine the new and the old, our old life with our new life in Christ. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God needs our whole heart because the kingdom of God is the direction in which this world is moving, right? And he's asking us to follow him now. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's start following this now. This, this is where the world is headed. This is where God is headed. This is where his plans go. Jesus says, this, this, is, this is the start of the, the new covenant here. This is where it's going to go. Why don't we get on board right now and look towards this new kingdom, this new place? And there may be a question out there. Am I going to be all right? This is a big question, right? Am I going to be all? Jesus is asking me to take on the cross. That means to suffer and die. Am I going to be all right? That holds some people back. That holds some people back. Am I going to be all right? Like Dallas Willard, he, he says this, we are safe in God's good world. Do you feel that? Those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, do you feel the safety in God's good world, the world where he is taking the word, where he's leading us, the, the path that we're, we're down. Can you give testimony to that? How even in the midst of suffering, he, he blesses, even in the midst of, of trial, he gives peace, even in the midst of, of, of struggle, there, there's joy. He is good. He is good. And he says that, you know what, following this path is not for the faint of heart, he turns to the crowds and he, he starts talking about the cross to the crowds and he said, this is not for the faint of heart. You know, this, this is the kind of place where we're gonna start people falling away from Jesus. Man, this, this is too costly for me. Again, when we look at what's here and right now, it looks too costly. When we look towards God's kingdom and his plan, man, it's a drop in the bucket. And so we all must answer this question that Jesus poses. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Am I actually the savior of this world? The one who can fulfill all the promises? The one who can take the, the sin and death on my back because we can't handle that? Who do you say that I am? And, and are you willing to, to, to go, go full in with your commitment to this movement Jesus is going to say that abundant life is on the other side of that question, how we answer that question. There's abundant life on the other side of that question. So who's holding our devotion? Who's holding our heart? Are we all in in our commitment to Jesus? Do we straggle the fence a little bit, sit on the fence and like, yeah, I, I trust in Jesus, but man, I really trust in all this other stuff or... You know, I want, to, I want to be part of this world, but, you know, hey, I want, to, I want the benefits and joys of God's kingdom. And Jesus says this doesn't work this way, right? It doesn't work this way. 
Here on this earth, it may seem like a hard road to walk. But he says, he says, hey, I know where I'm headed. Suffering, rejection, I'm going to be killed, but guess what? There's a resurrection on the other side. Disciples, do you grab onto that? Us as disciples, do we grab onto that? Do we see the life that's on the other side of the request, uh, the, the question that Jesus is asking? And how do, we, how do we respond? Who holds our true devotion? Who holds our heart? Who holds our loyalty? Who holds the priority of our life? This is a question that we're, this is a question we, ha- we constantly have to answer because it's a daily thing. Jesus says this has to be a daily thing because it's not natural. It doesn't come naturally to us, all right? And so are we asking this question, Jesus, are we answering the question, Jesus, you hold my heart. Jesus, you hold my heart. Jesus, you hold the place in my heart. Lord God, we come to you. And sometimes all we can see is this world around us. Sometimes our vision gets so clouded, so distracted that we forget the, the great promises that you have given to us. And, and sometimes we see the world and, and, and the, the cross standing before us and we're like, no way, no way, I will do everything. I will, I will kick and fight and scratch and claw not to walk down that path because it looks uncomfortable. It, it doesn't look safe. But you've promised us so much more. And you've told us, you said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. I've come to give you life. We thank you, Jesus, for that. Lord, we, we just ask for reminders. Keep reminding us, Lord, of who we are, who our Father is, who holds us in his, his hands. Pray, Lord, that if there are some here today who have not accepted you as Savior, that this would be the day where they would see this crossroads of following the things of this world that are temporary or following the path that you've laid out, which is permanent, eternal, and life-giving. Lord, we just ask that you continue to soften our hearts, help us to grow in our faith, in our wisdom of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be on mission to give others the, the good news, Lord, that you are the Savior of the world and that you've come to make all things new. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.